I'm Keith Deason, and this is From the Ground Up, a podcast about how we make what we make, the tools, the materials, and the stories behind the things we build. On the most recent episode of one of my favorite shows, the Modern Maker Podcast, host Ben Ueda brought up a very unique building material. I had heard of these, but I didn't know much about them and thought, well, that's the perfect type of thing to do an episode of FTGU about. And so here we are. And here we go. Curacao, 1960. Alfred Heineken is walking on the beach of the island, formerly a Dutch colony, now a self-governed state of the Netherlands, in the group of Caribbean islands called the Netherlands Antilles. It is a truly beautiful location, just 40 or so miles off the northern coast of Venezuela. Alfred is an important man back in Holland. He runs the Heineken Brewery. His family has been in charge of the company since his grandfather bought the old Haystack Brewery in 1864 and renamed it after himself. Freddy, as Alfred liked to be called, was doing a great job running Heineken. The brand was making a name for itself on the international stage, results of his strong design and marketing skills, and of course, their very popular beer. Freddie's mind, however, wasn't on marketing or the brand's globalization strategy or his family's heritage or even beer at the moment. At that moment, all Freddie could think about were bottles, glass bottles. Specifically, the glass bottles in which they shipped Heineken all over the world. The beach in front of him was littered with them. Not just Heineken bottles, surely, but many of the glass vessels, green and brown, strewn along the coast, glistening half-buried in the sand, rolling in with the tide and stuck along the dunes were from his company. It seemed the beer drinkers of Curacao loved his product, but lacked many of the luxuries that his beer's fans back home in Holland enjoyed. The bottles, where he came from, would be shipped back to the breweries and reused again and again, even as many as 30 times before they were discarded. Here on this island, they simply didn't have the infrastructure needed to collect, sort, and package the empty bottles, let alone send them back where they came from. That same lack of resources also accounted for the hefty cost of building materials on Curacao. Much of the local housing was constructed of the debris of consumer society. People were literally using trash to build their homes. As enterprising and frugal as it was, it did not make for pleasant or safe living conditions. It was on that beach, in that moment, Freddie Heineken hatched a plan to solve both problems. If they could not return the bottles, why not give the drinker a reason to keep or to sell them? If they could afford and receive beer, but not bricks, why not give them both in one product? Upon returning home, the enterprising Dutchman contracted architect N. John Haberkin to design a bottle that could double as a building material. The idea proved to be more difficult to implement than expected, mainly due to the Heineken Company's marketing department. The first prototype, a long-necked bottle resembling the kind that Chianti comes in, had grooves along the side in order to interlock with the necks of the other bottles. They were designed to stand upright, as many of the first prototypes were, because beer bottles are surprisingly strong in this orientation. They can withstand 50 kilograms, or 110 pounds of weight per square centimeter, of downward pressure, making them a viable, if not reliable, substitute for bricks. This design was pretty ingenious. 
that served both purposes as a beer dispensing container and a building block, fully and elegantly. However, the design was rejected by the marketing department for being too effeminate. Apparently, if you were going to change the world in the 1960s, you weren't allowed to look dainty while doing it. The final design was slightly less fabulous, but really keyed in on Freddy's bottle that is also a brick idea. The bottles would be rectangular. Each one had a short, stubby neck at the top and a recess at the bottom in which the neck from another bottle could snugly be nested. This design would rely on the containers being laid on their sides, with mortar applied in between. Typically, a beer bottle on its side is very weak, so the glass was thickened in order to counteract this. Also, a square bottle is more difficult to hold, so little nubs were added to the sides so that it could be more easily gripped, having the added effect of also giving the mortar a better adhesion surface when they were used in construction. The vessels would be made in 500ml size and also in a smaller 350ml size, which would be used as a half brick to even out the end of a course or row. Once this prototype was decided upon, Haberkin came up with a design for a small house that could be built using the bottles. He also proposed that the roof could be constructed out of the plastic pallets used to ship the beer. What resulted was an early, if not the first, example of a completely closed-loop system of consumer packaging design. Customers bought and drank the beer, then used all the waste from that consumption to build a structure. The methodology was so simple it was even printed right on the beer's label, with no need for a set of paper plans or instructions. The Wobo, or World Bottle, was born. In 1963, Heineken made a limited run of 100,000 Wobos. In 1965, Alfred even went as far as to build a prototype house out of the bottles near his villa just outside Amsterdam. He believed strongly in this concept. He wasn't intending to be an early pioneer in sustainability or to even change the way people thought about social and economic harm that can result from the culture of mass consumption. He just had a really good idea that he thought could help people, his customers, live a little better and a little easier. And when an idea like that gets in your head, it can be really difficult to let it go. Unfortunately for Freddy, the marketing team at Heineken and the industry at large did not share his vision. The company was selling a premium beer, after all, and to see some of the world's poorest citizens building and occupying houses made from their product would, in their minds, irreparably tarnish their brand. Critics from outside the industry railed against his efforts as being self-serving. Why not just pour money into the indigenous economies instead of trying to sell them beer, a non-essential item, in order for them to have access to building materials. Another important point of contention was liability. If a bottle house had collapsed, who would be responsible? There was a very clear possibility that Heineken could be sued, or at least held liable in the public eye. Ultimately, the Wobo project was abandoned. Alfred, disheartened, walked away from his idea and it was largely forgotten about. The fact that he had even come up with the concept, though, had set him ahead of almost every other manufacturer at the time. Just about no one else in his position on the planet had even considered, much less took the time to actually implement, a plan to use their own waste to provide shelter and opportunity to the developing world. It wouldn't be until many decades later that Heineken's efforts would be fully appreciated. Sustainability is not solely a buzzword of the modern age, but a cultural and economic indicator of a society's success. 
As plastic bottles and containers pile up in landfills and clog the world's oceans, many have looked to ideas like the Wobo to solve some of our most pressing environmental issues. Designers and manufacturers seek new ways to responsibly package their products. Procter & Gamble laundry detergent brand Tide has developed the EcoBox. Replacing their bulky, curved plastic bottles, the box is its own shipping container. It ships directly to customers and is transformable on arrival into a detergent dispenser. The design uses 60% less plastic and 30% less water than the old version. Nestle has introduced packaging for the Kit Kat brand chocolate bars in Japan that is made out of recyclable paper that features instructions on how to fold the paper into an origami crane. And a pilot program in the Netherlands, of all places, is moving forward by taking a step backward. Just like how Heineken and other breweries used to reuse their bottles over and over, the program seeks to eliminate the waste from food delivery packaging by providing reusable containers which can be dropped off by customers, washed, and reused by restaurants. Finding a Wobo today would prove extremely difficult. They were mostly destroyed and only a few remain as collector's items. The original Wobo structure, however, built on Freddie Heineken's property, still remains as part of the Heineken Museum of Amsterdam. The house that beer built. So yeah, it's been a while. Obviously, things have been strange for everyone, and I'm no exception. A quick explanation for the long delay in episodes, which might not be necessary but I still feel like I owe it, is that I embarked on what should have been a very easy short move, and it turned out to be a very difficult long move. We are here on the two-year anniversary of FTGU, and now that I'm settled and unpacked, I'd just like to thank everyone who reached out, everyone who's helped this show grow, all my listeners and fans, and everyone who has supported the show along the way in any form. Most specifically, I'd like to thank all of my patrons for their support. So thank you Matt Cummel, Alex Krause, Phil Plant, Josh Price, Lila Naraki, Infinite Craftsman, Caleb Harris, Jeff Shaw, Maker Geek, Johnny Builds, Jacob Nose, Christy Steinman, Jim Ashley, John Wilson, Josh Frankel, Ken Harvey, Marsh Wildman, Michael Rodriguez, MJ, Nick Carruthers, Paul Granger, Tony Rouleau, Brian Sargent, DK of Reclaim Living Store, and my buddy Vadim Grinberg. If you'd like to support from the ground up, you can do so at patreon.com slash keithdeason or by sharing your favorite episode. I got plans to come up with some purchasable merchandise this year as well, so be on the lookout for that. You can follow the show at FTGU Podcast on Instagram or at facebook.com slash FTGU Podcast. You can also go to FTGUPodcast.com for full episodes, show notes, and the transcripts from each episode. Finally, I view this podcast as an escape. The current global situation will not become a part of any future episodes, and though I'm addressing it now, I will not be doing so in the future. I'm only mentioning it now against better judgment to state that this will be somewhere you can come to rest, nourish your brain, be entertained, and hopefully put aside any stress, worry, or pain. That said, I hope you all find yourselves on the fortunate side of things. Until next time, later makers.